today I want to talk about this New York Times article you sent me, Kendra. Mm-hmm. Shall we? Shall we rename and shame the article? Yes, please. Please name and shame the article. Okay, this is the actual title of the article from a uh, a New York Times, the New York or a New York Times, <laughs> the New York Times website. Don't know if this article made it to print. I would be I would be very interested to find out if in fact it did. <laughs> Because I would like to frame it. I was going to say, so, so I, I would can... love to own and frame this article if it was ever printed. So, like, in, in like, the Mad Max times, like, the post-apocalypse, <laughs> when a group of, you know, plucky survivors take shelter in my ruined house, they can look at this newspaper article on the wall and be like, gee, is that what people were like in the before times? <laughs> no wonder the apocalypse happened. Yeah. yeah. So the title is as follows. A feud in wolf kink erotica raises a deep legal question, subheading, what do copyright and authorship mean in the crowdsourced realm known as the Omegaverse? By Alexandra Alter. Thank you so much, Alexandra. (laughs) Your research leaves a little bit to be desired, but mostly, mostly you were all right. Well, I can understand not really wanting to delve too deep into that. She's a reporter. She should follow the story no matter where it takes her. I mean, she interviewed some of these people, the poor woman. Yeah. That's true. All right, so where where am I beginning with this story? So tell me a little bit more about what the article is about. Give me the, not the long of it, just give me the short of it. Yeah, the five W's. All right, so basically the the short of the article is that there is a lawsuit filed by one author against another author. The plaintiff in the lawsuit is claiming that uh, the defendant uh, infringed on her copyrights by incorporating elements of her romance tropes, let's say, into the defendant's writing. The, the, The tricky bit is that both of these women write what is known as Omegaverse romance. And if you know anything about the Omegaverse, then this next (laughs) bit is going to be boring to you. So I'm just going to break it down, because to those not initiated, no amount of me explaining the Omegaverse tropes is going to have it make sense to you. Mm. So you're just going to have to buy in now. (laughs) Omegaverse is originally a trope slash subgenre in fan fiction originating around 2010, I believe, mm-hmm. wherein the characters therein said fan fiction are, are subdivided into two sort of sexual moieties, one being alpha, the other being omega, and it draws inspiration, endless finger quotes, from basically like bestial wolf hacky vibes, I guess. Human misunderstandings of what social bonds in, in wolves are like. So basically, if wolves fucked really hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if wolves, like, mated for life or, you know, bit each other or any of these things. I mean, they bite each other. But... They do the claiming mark thing. Yeah, usually not as, like, you know... Foreplay. Yeah. So anyway, basically the gist is characters get sorted into one of two groups. You're either alpha 
and you're dummy and tough and you don't have any feelings and you're violent and brooding and or you're omega and you're submissive and emotional and you know dtf all the time yeah there is this sort of underpinning of like being soulmates or being meant for one another mating for life this sort of huge overwrought sentimental emotionality to the whole thing there's a dog outside the window oh my god he's so cute (laughs) (laughs) she's lost the topic and so both of these two authors the plaintiff and the defendant incorporate this trope into their romance writing uh to what varying degree i don't know haven't read either of them but addison kane the plaintiff has decided that zoe ellis the defendant has ripped off or infringed on her copyright so much that she has filed a lawsuit against her in the goddamn united states court system claiming that her characters fuck too much like the plaintiff's characters and she deserves compensation. And to be clear, these women, don't they both self-publish on Amazon? I, I was mistaken, in fact. The plaintiff, Addison Kane, has been published oh, God. by Blushing Books. Like, Bodice Ripper Publishing? Yes, I don't know. It might only be ebooks. I don't know if there's an actual paperback of this magnum opus to be found, but <laughs> it is. It has been published by Blushing Books, a publishing house out of Charlottesville. So claims the New York Times article. So huh. yeah, it's really here's here's a. It's going to be a bit trippy because both of these pen names are very similar, and also their titles are both very hackneyed and similar and just easily confusable one for the other. So the plaintiff in this case has the pen name Addison Kane, and she published uh, Born to be Bound, her Omegaverse book. And the defendant is Zoe Ellis, who published a book called Crave to Conquer, which is a part of a series that I don't care to learn more about or at least name, but she's the defendant who is, it is being claimed, it is being alleged that she has broken the copyright of fucking Addison. Addison. Yeah. So Addison Kane is claiming she owns the IP to the Omegaverse trope? That is not her actual legal claim, but her claim is she established so many of these tropes or these specific tropes that she has the copyright that uh, Ellis has infringed on. Ah. I don't know what specific tropes uh, they are. I mean, when was she's alleging? When was her book published? Uh, Whose book? Uh, Addison's. Uh, In 2016. Okay, so no. Yeah, no. No, no, she did not. No, because we, we know, we know exactly the the first, the, you know, the Ur Omegaverse fanfiction. It's in this fucking Supernatural fandom, and yeah. it it has nothing to do with either of these women. Nope. Thank you, Supernatural fandom. You're welcome. Mm. It was a gift. 
I actually don't like being associated with the Supernatural fandom. That doesn't represent me. Man, I wasn't, but y'all remember um, Super Hulak? Let's not ever speak of that again. I live to forget. Mm -hmm. It's the reason I drink, actually. (laughs) We survived the wars. (laughs) I remember thinking the gifts were cute. Like, remember when they just had, like, little gifts, and I was like, oh, those are fun. And then people had, like, this whole concept around it and i was like oh this is, uh, you're losing me i'm tired into the freaking civil war though it was this side against that side on their head cannons yeah that's why i definitely didn't i was just like you guys have fun i'm gonna not i mean it's what proto anti-culture was it oh, really like yeah, i don't right. know how that happened like not that i care at least in this episode oh, <laughs> Yeah, we have a we have a lifetime to figure that a out. A lifetime of anti culture. Yep. So I I actually have Don't the actual like complaint that. in front of me. Oh, uh, if there are questions, so, illuminate me. Uh, is she asking for a specific amount of money, or what is her actual demand? Well, right here it says jury trial demanded. Ah. So I haven't heard any information on that, but this was filed uh, oh on October 17th, 2018. And nature of action, she is... So she's filing a DMCA, which is a Digital Millennium Copyright Act, basically saying that the the defendant has, has cost her revenue. Okay. <sighs> oh, boy. And... So she's not, I mean, she's asking for a jury trial, which is fucking weird. You think she would just ask for, yeah, money? Oh my god, that's so embarrassing. (laughs) But, okay, imagine being the lawyer that has to explain what nodding is. How can you find peers for this jury? (laughs) I don't know if she has legal representation or if this is... uh, if this is something she's filed herself, uh, I can't find a lawyer's name on this action. It was filed in the Western District of Oklahoma. Man, Oklahoma. Do better. God, that's... Of course this is what they're into. Have you seen Oklahoma? Yeah. Fair. So, this article I found from 2019 on the Addison Cade lawsuit uh, says it is still... Pending, it doesn't look like it had gone to mm-hmm. trial yet. Well, and now with the coronavirus, you know, I mean, they're having remote courts. Mm, no, <laughs> oh, I wanna, I wanna be in a Zoom jury. <laughs> be in the Zoom jury for the fucking Omegaverse trial. Mm-hmm. Fucking trial of the century. <laughs> I would kill to be on that jury. <laughs> Generations OJ. I mean, I remember OJ. I guess that was more of a Gen X boomers I do timeline, though. For OJ. I'm, I'm trying to sound young. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. I watched the American <laughs> Crime OJ show. That is how I know all my OJ well, actually, Simpson OJ knowledge. happened when I was really young, so I didn't really retain any of it. So most of my knowledge of the OJ trial going into it later in life was um from the Seinfeld episode. Oh my god, Kelty. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly was obsessed with big like 
oh, what's the word for it? Uh, media circus trials. Yeah. Just because it it's just a fascinating concept to me that you have a actual complaint that you decide you want to sue over and you want it to become a spectacle because that's somehow going to sway the jury that's technically not supposed yeah, to be exposed sure. to any of it. If you are into that, there is a phenomenal um, documentary series on Netflix called uh, Trial by TV. Trial by Media, I think. Trial by Media, that was it. It's very fun. That uh, goes goes through some of these famous media circus trials and the the effect that they had on on potentially the outcome. Yeah, they're really good. See, for me, I was the same age as Jean Benet when Jean Benet Ramsey happened, so that was my thing that I was like obsessed with, kind of in a in a panic way. <laughs> so I like kind of by the time OJ happened, I was like, okay, but this one still isn't solved. You thought your creepy little brother was going to bludgeon you to death too? Well, I didn't have a creepy little brother, so I just thought it was going to be my parents. Mm. So say we magically got to be this dream jury, just the three of us. Would you side with Addison Kane? No, absolutely not. Like even legally speaking, legally speaking, she doesn't have a leg to stand on. There's no, there's no concrete I, IP, intellectual property here that she owns. I can't imagine this lawsuit getting actually entertained. Mm-mm. But apparently it is. It feels like if it actually will be entertained, it is going to spur a whole new set of... Do you remember the McDonald's yeah, coffee yeah. lawsuit? Just... All these petty things like, oh, well, you know, I self-published my fanfiction on Sex Pollen, so... I own that now, yeah. You all owe me reparations. Star Trek owns that. <sighs> I was gonna say, it's probably older than these people Star Trek, really, it. if you want to think about it, probably owns most of the weird kink tropes that are out there. I mean, Star Trek... It's basically the invention of modern fandom, yeah. so we're still just repeating a lot of the things those people did in the 70s. But, so to break down uh, what's happened here is Addison Kane basically filed some DMCA actions against Ellis, and Ellis got some of her books taken down because a lot of distributors like Amazon will just immediately, like, assume that the DMCA is valid and just take the book down until it, or take whatever it is down, the possibly pirated material until it can get sorted out. And so Ellis is also now countersuing for filing a false DMCA against Mm. her. I mean, that one's kind of fair. I mean, it's 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 fair, but it is it is a fucking mess now. <laughs> it's fair, but it's still silly. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like what's the other woman's name? Addison. Addison Kane is the. Yes, she is the. She's the, the first one. Person claiming to have been stolen from. Depending on which lawsuit or countersuit we're talking about, she is either the plaintiff or the defendant. (laughs) And the other woman involved, her name is... Zoe Ellis. Zoe Ellis. I mean, her her reputation is technically now put in question because some people 
unfortunately, are going to side with Addison Kane. So the likelihood of her being able to self-publish again successfully. Anyone siding with Addison Kane to the degree that it will affect the sales of either of these books. I could be wrong, but I I would be shocked. I mean, it is in the New York Times. It is. This is probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to their sales. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to agree and think that as well, but I have so Yeah, especially faith. at this point, like, honestly. I mean, really, she's all she's got to do is change her pen name and keep publishing. That's fair. But it's... Is anyone checking up on her? (laughs) Hooray, more books. We're all going to hell in a handbasket. Do you know what book you're not going to be getting? Which one? George R.R. Martin's next book. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. God. All the you'd think you'd think he'd put it out while it was still relevant while everybody's still broken up he could be like hey look no it, that's not what happened I mean if he, he said that like, with his oh, mouth if he can't publish it before you know in the in the seven years before the show caught up with his book it's never coming out and I basically just believe that with all my heart now because he had he basically had a a machine that prints money. And all he had to do to keep this money printing machine going was publish another book. And he's a professional writer, and he's been publishing books most of his life, and he can't fucking make it happen. So I don't think it will see the light of day. And that's fine, because as long as he doesn't publish it, Theon's still alive. So I don't <laughs> care. I could almost sympathize if it was the I'm putting out my version of the Cimmerillion. Um, he said that instead! No, he's been busy writing other shit! Yeah. It's exactly what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. He published he published his version of the Cimmerillion. He published two, two books on the fake ancestry of his fake dynasty uh, that, that have... That, have been dead for years at the at the time of the the original sub- trilogy can you believe that that he originally intended to write and he just can't be fucking bothered to end it he's just not interested anymore in the forward motion of the plot he's far more interested in the world building components which like fine george you're an old man you want to retire i sympathize Hire a team of ghostwriters, give them your notes, you get final say on all of the drafts, of course, and just have them crank out those two books for you so that you can swim in a pool of money for your retirement and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? He said he was going to finish because of COVID. He was like, now I'm going to crack down and I'm going to be able to finish it. And we were all like, bullshit. (laughs) And then... What has he done? <laughs> Nothing. It's just, I think a lot of fantasy authors feel like they have to take the Tolkien right, route and have this crazy backstory and this extra language and put in all this world-building effort. When sometimes you really can just be like, look, there was a war and now we have these characters. Also, he already did that. It's in the other books. <laughs> 
I mean, he's he's like a student of history, and he clearly very much enjoys the world building aspect. And personally, I think that the first three books of the series are the best at balancing the forward motion of the plot and the world building elements. And then for the most recent, the last two books, Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons, the plot just kind of grinds to a halt. And there's very, very, very little forward motion of the plot in both of those books. And it's mostly fucking expansions on the motivations and histories of like secondary and tertiary characters to the degree where, you know, 400 pages have gone by and we haven't really done anything. We're just kind of learning about a bunch of people who don't matter all that much. And the the balance has shifted to the point where at this rate, it's going to take 10 more books for enough action to actually happen to wrap up all of these stories. And I don't buy it. Have you checked to see what literary Twitter thinks about all this? Because Lord knows the book side of Twitter. Oh, what? The uh, George R. R. Martin. Oh, God, no. no. I, I keep well away from book Twitter. I refuse to acknowledge book Twitter's existence. Or any of their opinions. It's just so wild. Like, you want to talk about hot takes. Yeah, they're, they're fucking very full of themselves. Kind of in the way that, like, those, like, girls who took AP classes in high school would all kind of sit together and study during lunch break. And, you know, you couldn't approach the grandeur of their, of their knowledge. They, they very much have that kind of vibe to me. Mm, I agree. As one of those girls. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you're just right. I mean, I grew out of it also. <laughs> but also they just have, like, the book Twitter, I mean, has this air of contempt about them for any, any and all who don't sort of align with the views of book Twitter. And it just has this, it's such an insular group of nobodies, and yet they go around like they're king of the fucking schoolyard. Mm-hmm. Like, I, oh god, they're fucking obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And also all the authors that are on it are like YA hacks. True. Creators who engage with their fandoms blows me away. Because I feel like that is always the precedent. Like, you start engaging with them, your shit is going downhill. You are no longer going to churn out the content that you want, and you're not going to churn out the content that they want, because fandom is constantly warring against itself. Yeah, you're, you're problematic and you're cancelled within a week. Like, also, don't keep your fucking mouth shut and don't say anything and you can't get cancelled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's been happening so much in the has-been fandom right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is taking shit to Vivzy Pop and saying, you know, well, I want my ship to be canon. If you don't announce that my ship is going to be canon, then you are canceled for a benign comment you made 10 years ago. Uh, ain't that always the way? I mean, don't have a Twitter, I think, actually is the best way of dealing with that. Just don't have a Twitter. Yeah, because in the age of basically the parasocial relationship, your fans will develop expectations on you and your time and your views and your thoughts. And when you inevitably disappoint them, they they perceive that as 
aggression toward them or as a slight toward them. And TikTok kids can't be trusted to have emotions. Well, and like, Neil Gaiman is probably the most non-problematic writer that I know. Oh, he's been cancelled a few times, don't worry. On Twitter. But yes, he's been cancelled because he he says the wrong things every time because fucking newsflash, there's no right thing. It's all wrong things. And so there's no way to win. So just just don't have a Twitter. Not to belabor the point, but it it comes back to even just this New York Times article. How on earth did an Omegaverse lawsuit get to be an article on the New York Times? Part of me thinks okay. it's it's like the freak show aspect uh. of fucking what? I don't know. Of it's the freak show aspect of like pointing at a subculture and being like Look at those pervs! What sickos! Mm. And, like, that's all. Also, like, Tiger King. Yes, a lot like Tiger King. To me, that's what made Tiger King as as popular as it was, is this sort of deep dive into a wild subculture that you don't have any personal investment in. You have no gumption about viewing, viewing these people as, like, absolute freak shows. Which, you know... In fairness, I don't think anyone came out of Tiger King looking not like a freak show. <laughs> that was that was the funny thing for me with uh, fucking Tiger King is that we watched it because that was like that's like our shit is to watch weird subcultures of things, and we didn't really think anything of it. But then everybody else watched it because quarantine, and they were all like, "This fucking guy," and it's like, yeah. All subcultures are kind of crazy yeah. like this. For, for a lot of people, Joe Exotic was actually legitimately the weirdest person they've ever seen. I mean, growing up in Texas, I I know people like that. And watching Joe Exotic being like, yeah, I can clearly identify your meth mouth, his meth mouth. Yeah. I, I know exactly who you are. <laughs> Which is what made it fun for me. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get that people wouldn't know that he was on meth until much later. No. Because I could clock that meth mouth fast. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people were shocked because, I mean, he openly talks about it in a later episode. They were also openly shocked that his two husbands were straight. Yeah. And that he was using them for sex (laughs) and that they were getting meth from him. Mm -hmm. His, his, I don't know if they're still current, but his current one as of the show, uh, Went to my high school. Really? Are you fucking joking? That doesn't even shock me. No. Technically, I did know that guy. <laughs> Which one? The one who killed himself or the one who's still alive? No, the one that got with him just before he went to jail. The one oh, that's still alive. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The really young one. Mm. Oh, unfortunate. Yeah, so. Yeah. And yet, unsurprising. Hey. Sorry, boys. Texas Hill Country. Hooray. Out here in the hail country. Ugh. Yeah, but I mean, it is fun to watch. Just that crazy subculture imploding on itself. It is fun to watch, but that's the thing is that, like, we knew that already. And so when we watched Tiger King, we were like, oh, good, another weird subculture doc- documentary. And everybody else was like, I'm watching this because nothing else is on. 
and everybody check out how whack it is. And we were like, well, actually, it's kind of it's kind of yeah, normal the for all the subculture that, things we have. Yeah, I guess what people don't realize is that you could do a documentary like that on basically any niche subculture in the world and get just as much messy drama mm-hmm. out of the participants because human beings is the same. Everywhere we go, we are going to be jealous and petty and mean-spirited and whether it's about tigers or furries or fan fiction or YouTube beauty tutorials, <laughs> like people is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a beautiful it's like looking at a car crash is what it is <laughs> yeah which i also love that's a weird subculture you might not know exists but dash cam videos of car crashes on youtube the two-hour compilations oh my god i could i could kill a week watching them it's my least favorite. my dad loves those thank you he put you up do know this you know everything god i can't my dad loves those he put up a dash cam in his car specifically on the off chance that he was ever in a terrible accident. <laughs> I can't stand it. It's just all screechy well, breaks he, and... He can't He can't be in a terrible accident. He has to be just behind a terrible accident. Then he'll have the footage that really counts. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. People who drive in Austin are assholes. That is this true. This is true. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's this weird passive-aggressive thing. It is. It's which I which I dislike a whole lot more. Like I have driven in what I would call the shittiest driving city in North America, and it's Boston. God, Boston. Boston is very aggressive, very scary, but in a predictable sort of way, where whatever the most assholeish thing that a driver could take, the most assholeish assholeish route is what they're going to do, and you can anticipate that. Whereas in Austin, it's very much, it could be anything. It, they, could, they could turn onto the boulevard, they could start driving down the sidewalk, they might pull a donut in the middle of the intersection. It mm. could be anything, and you just can't prepare for it. Or that woman that I was, like, allowing to go through because she looked like she wasn't going to slow down, and she stopped kind of in front of me, and then I, like, was kind of like, okay, we'll continue to go. And then she gestured for me to go, like, until I started going. And then she went and honked at me. And I was like, I don't I don't understand what this was. What, what are we? like? Well, and even my most recent car accident, I, um, I rear-ended a guy because the guy next to me was about to hit me. And I was watching that. <laughs> And then the guy in front of me slammed on his brakes and it it was not one of those like baiting car crashes. Yeah. It legit was just a weird freak accident, but I I was the bad guy because my car technically hit his car. Yeah, that's happened to me before where like just getting out of the way of somebody else's accident causes Okay, so one time I did almost hit this guy jaywalking on South Lamar in a wheelchair. Oh my god, we have one of those in kits! We, we have this guy in kits who, ro- who just goes down the street in his powered wheelchair, down the fucking road, not the sidewalk, down the road, and it's got this little podunk orange flag on it, 
and like my man you're gonna fucking die yeah. like you are very low to the ground not everyone's gonna see you yeah like i have seen it before where like a guy in some big fuck off you know dodge ram truck has a blind spot in front of his car so big that he cannot see someone in a wheelchair he's going to be murdered one of these days and I'm going to have to witness it because I see him all the fucking time. Well, and like your roller skate chick. Roller girl. That oh, chick yeah. freaked me out the first time yeah. I saw her. Yeah. She's, she's high stress. Yeah. She's, she's something else. Cause she's just a chick though on rollerblades or roller skates that just dances in traffic. Yep. Yes. Quote unquote directing yeah, traffic. Yeah, she she thinks she's helping traffic. Like uh, I guess whatever that is, whatever is good for you, girl. Just don't don't end up in my grill. Basically. She ran for mayor once. She yeah, she did. Oh, like Leslie. Like Leslie. Mm-hmm. Leslie was such a hero. Leslie was great. Leslie for anybody who doesn't know was a homeless man and he and actually- would wear lingerie. He was an activist. He was LGBTQ something something in there. I know he was in the queer community. He would wear lingerie and I'm talking like thongs and a lace teddy and just hang out in the park or downtown talking to people, giving them advice and he was the friendliest guy. He was great. He ran for mayor one time. He used to be the the mythos of Leslie was that he was a lawyer. His wife left him and he had a mental yeah. breakdown and became homeless. Yeah. He complimented my shoes once. Yeah. I ran into him once and he told me my hair was pretty. Oh. And I mean, unfortunately, he died. He was he was murdered. Yeah. Because people fucking suck. Mm-hmm. Because violent homophobia. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I love living in the South. Isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> well, and honestly... <laughs> Props if you live in the South and you enjoy it, but I, I can't. These people drive me insane. A- and I mean, there are liberal people out there. I know that, but fuck the South. It is. It wishes it was still the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. Having visited it infrequently as I have and having lived there for one fever dream of a year. It's astonishing to me just how blatantly racist the whole place is. And the 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 culture of that place so openly militaristic and violent and xenophobic in a way that like I in my I don't know my 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 wish that the world is better than it was was like oh the South can't be really like that. The South can't be, like, what people say it is. You know, people in Germany don't, you know, live in beer gardens and goose step to work. Like, mm. the South can't be really like that. And then the South was really like that. And it was it was super upsetting. No, it, it's like that. On vacation, my grandfather took me to, oh, was it the burning of Atlanta? Burning of something. One of those famous burnings in the Civil War where they re- reenacted it. They lit a bonfire. Oh, dear. And they had everybody in dresses and there was this parade from one part of town to the other where it was the people running to get away from the fire. Nice. And it it was a wild thing to be around. It, it It's not really a subculture anymore, but it felt like watching a bizarre subculture, these Confederate reenactors. <laughs> Did we talk enough about the thing? 
Yeah, did we? We did! I want to thank everybody for joining us on this pilot episode. Ladies, would you like to plug yourself on the pilot episode? Nope. No. Never heard of Twitter. (laughs) Well, if you'd like to find me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Blissfully Show. The Taboo Spectrum. (laughs) It is. It's a a taboo, like, curve of... I don't know. I didn't pay enough attention in statistics class.